Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Sebro, and welcome to the Definitive Rap Podcast. We thank Vin News for hosting our show. For years in America, Hollywood celebrities vowed to move to Canada if a Republican won the presidential elections. And why Canada? Because Canada is our neighbor, where everyone is polite, respectful, and tolerant of one another. With us today is former Montreal Councilman and current B'nai B'rith leader, Marvin Rotran, to tell us about another side of Canada, one that is rife with rampant and very dangerous anti-Semitism, especially on college campuses. This past November, the Student Union of Toronto at Scarborough passed a resolution in support of BDS, calling on the university to sever all ties with any organization they deem supports the state of Israel. This included ending kosher catering for the university's Jewish students. In May of 2021, Jewish students at the University of Toronto Medical School filed a complaint alleging defamatory and libelous comments directed at them from fellow medical students and faculty. Adding insult to injury, the school's anti-discrimination czar, Ratika Goel, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, is a BDS supporter who has called support for Israel a barbaric cultural practice. Lest you think that this anti-Semitism is limited to free-thinking college activism, earlier this December, a Jewish Toronto District School Board trustee named Alexandra Lulka, who raised the alarms over anti-Semitic material distributed by another trustee, was the target of a censure for calling out the anti-Semitism, which was acknowledged by the Integrity Commissioner. We will discuss these very serious matters and others during today's interview. Bela? Thank you, Alan. You know, it's very interesting that when you speak to people in the United States, and I'm talking about educated and so-called cultured people, the assumption about Canada is that it's a very peaceful country and that anti-Semitism is not an issue there. When I ask why they would say that, after all, anti-Semitism is a worldwide problem, they respond, oh, I don't hear of any problems there. Well, today we are going to debunk that myth. And we are not doing it just to prove that Canada is not exempt from the atrocities of anti-Semitism, but the world at large is affected by anti-Semitism. Hatred of Jews is a global issue, and to eradicate it begins with awareness. Canadian Jews have been the brunt of hostility, prejudice, and discrimination since the mid-18th century when Jews began settling there. And it intensified after 1867 as the Jewish settlement was increasing because Jews were fleeing Eastern European anti-Semitism. Yet anti-Semitism is still disturbingly burning red hot today to the extent that social media is fueling hate speech and misinformation, thereby propagating hate. 
Along with our guest today, Marvin Rothbrandt, we will hear chilling details about Jewish life in Canada. Marvin is the head of B'nai B'rith's League for Human Rights with 39 years of service on Montreal's City's Council. Marvin, welcome to the Definitive Wrap. Well, thank you, uh, Bela, and thank you, Alan. I really appreciate the offer to share with your listeners today. Um, and, you know, it's a different audience than we have here, and I'm glad to connect. You're quite right. I spent 39 years, consecutive years, on Montreal City Council. I represented the Snowden area in the west end of Montreal. Uh, it's a district that uh, is still quite Jewish, but less so than when I was first elected. My first campaign, I went door to door with my father, who was a Holocaust survivor, and half the campaign was in Yiddish. And in fact, I remember my first ad was in the Canadian Adler in Yiddish, vote for, for Marvin Rotran, because people didn't know me and I wanted them to know a little bit about me. But Canada over the years has changed. And it's changed for the better, not That's for the what worse. I would like to discuss today. In fact, um, exactly. We, we and know- I'd like to- I'd like to put it into context um, for uh, your listeners. First of all, it would be naive to say that anti-Semitism doesn't exist anywhere, including in countries that are pacific, welcoming, tolerant, that define themselves by their values of inclusion and cooperation. It still exists. But however, we have to also look at the context of COVID. In a country like Canada, we've had an explosion of hate crimes and hate incidents in the last two years, much the same as anywhere else. But let's put into context, the Jewish population in Canada numbers slightly over 400,000. We're a little more than 1% of the population of the country as a whole. And we're a diverse community. The Jewish community includes people from the four corners of the world. We you know, we have Ethiopian Jews and Russian Jews and people who've been here for five, six, seven, eight generation. Um, we come in different shades, colors, sizes, and different uh, persuasions of Judaism. But however, we get along well and our contributions to Canada have been formally recognized by Parliament. A number of years ago, there was a motion adopted specifically recognizing the contributions to the well-being and success of Canada by the Jewish population. And that's one thing that B'nai B'rith um, uh, proposes and promotes on a regular basis to our fellow citizens. But all this within the context right. that crime went down in Canada during COVID by 5%, according to Statistics Canada, except hate crimes. According to the government body that tracks this, hate crimes reported to police in Canada increased 37% to a record level since uh, statistics keeping began in the year 2020 and Jews were disproportionately targeted. So, you know, clearly there is work to do and we are beginning to do it. Which leads me to the question that I was going to ask you. We know that the future starts with youth. University of Toronto um, that propagates anti-Semitism by deliberately omitting to address any anti-Semitic outrages that have taken place. Um, in fact, the, um, the anti-Semitism report has no problem reporting anti-black racism, a report that is 86 pages long and contains 56 recommendations, um, all for anti-black racism. 
but and uh, the Scarsborough Campus Students Union passed a motion to ban speakers who, according to them, support the military occupation of Palestine, and and they advocate boycotting Israeli settlement goods from being sold at their student union. These and other anti-Semitic measures are scary because it brings a remembrance to an earlier time in history during the Nazi regime when anti-Semitism first began with its youth. So. Can you please tell us more about what's going on and what is being done to combat anti-Semitism we, we so that it does not you. get worse? Hopefully better, but not worse. Yeah, we agree with you. We see a problem on university campuses. In many ways, uh, you know, your run of the mill, if I can say that, uh, anti-Semitic incident, like the drawing of a swastika on a park bench or, you know, trying to deface or vandalize a community building, uh, something like that. The police are actually quite good at handling that if you complain. And, you know, we've identified two areas where we think more concentration has to occur. One is online hate in which uh, our laws in Canada are weak. The government tried to address that with a bill that was uh, proposed in Parliament just before the last election. The bill wasn't adopted. It dies the day the election occurred, and it hasn't come back yet. So we're working on that. But the second area is exactly what you said in university campuses. Student unions often tend to get elected because of student apathy. Nobody votes. They represent a fringe, and often it's a radical fringe that seems to repeat slogans of banned terrorist groups from the Middle East. And often when there's conflict in the Middle East, the university campuses in particular become a hotbed of anti-Semitism. In Toronto, which is home to half the Jewish population in Canada, there's been a number of worrying incidents. I'll come back to the Scarborough campus in a minute. Uh, for us, we've been involved in uh, looking closely at the Toronto District School Board, which is the largest school board in Canada, uh, over anti-Semitic materials, which were made available to teachers on an opt-in basis. But um, there were people who immediately said they were shocked by this material, which seemed to obliterate the state of Israel, which seemed to glorify terrorist groups, which linked to groups that had proposed suicide bombing, things like this. And um, when a trustee of the board said this wasn't acceptable, the integrity commissioner received complaints, not about the materials, but about her. Uh, what happened was the board allowed the integrity commissioner to carry out a inquiry on the complaints against the trustee. And she came back with uh, two uh, major findings. One, the materials were anti-Semitic. But however, she still said the commissioner should be censured because she didn't say anything good about the other parts of the material that weren't clearly anti-Semitic. That position was absolutely ludicrous. And it destroyed what little credibility the Jewish population in Toronto has in the Toronto District School Board. And we naturally expected the school board wouldn't even take up the censure, but it did. And it went to the full board of the uh, of the Toronto District School Board. The day before that happened, the Minister of Education of Toronto uh, publicly met with the trustee who was being censured to give her his support. And so did politicians of all stripes at the federal, provincial, and municipal levels. I think that spoke volumes. And yet, this ridiculous censure was only defeated by a vote of 10 to 7. 
by the school board. Now, as you can see, that's made a lot of people in the school in, it, who send their children to the school board who are Jewish think that the school board is not serious about fighting anti-Semitism. Rather than eradicate materials available to teachers that are anti-Semitic and say, no, this can never be acceptable. Um, seven members of the board actually felt the teacher should be censured. Uh, a Jewish teacher, a Jewish trustee, excuse me, simply for asking questions about anti-Semitic materials. It's not up to Jews to say, you know, attacking Israel is a good thing and anti-Semitism is a good thing. I mean, it, it, it's beyond ludicrous. And it shows some of the problems we have at the educational uh, level. At the same school board uh, in early November, there was a walkout of students. About 200 students walked out of a high school to hold an anti-Israel rally and one that repeated slogans that are used by terrorist groups in, in uh, the Middle East. And yet there's been no action by the school board other than to put out a statement saying that the, the slogans are ambiguous and can be interpreted differently. Our point of view is uh, if teachers were involved in spurring this, those teachers need to be fired. Um, if students uh, convince other students to walk out of class for an illegal you know, demonstration, why have they not been disciplined? We have questions about whether the school board is serious about uh, confronting anti-Semitism. It's not enough to say that two points of view. Canada has adopted the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance's definition of anti-Semitism. Our government is very strong in its commitment to IRA. Recently, B'nai B'rith worked with the government of Canada uh, for the Malmo International Forum for Preserving Holocaust Remembrance and Combating Anti-Semitism. Uh, what we did is we made suggestions and recommendations to the special envoy uh, that we have here in Canada for combating anti-Semitism, Erwin Kotler, and we asked the Minister of Foreign Affairs to assure that we have a high-level delegation that would um, support Benebra's four-point plan. What happened is we were totally satisfied. The head of our delegation was the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Erwin Kotler was also part of the delegation, as was Special Envoy Stefan uh, Dion. Uh, we spoke well in Sweden. The Prime Minister reaffirmed Canada's commitment to IRA, and he said that there's been a problem in implementation and that Canada would work hard to assure that local authorities and law enforcement better understands IRA. Canada is not opposed to legitimate criticism of Israel. It's just opposed to modern anti-Semitism, which says Israel has no right to exist and Jews have no right to self-determination. And in essence, we're wondering why the Toronto School Board tries to say that there's two sides to any question when students say Israel shouldn't exist, it should be eradicated. And, you know, there's been no consequences whatsoever. So one of the, our main missions over the uh, coming months will be to work with the government of Canada to really implement IRA. Ontario has done what it needs to do. Ontario was the first province to adopt an order in council, the equivalent of a law, making the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism the rule in Ontario. But however, it hasn't put the resources or the funding there to educate the civil service. What does that actually mean for, for them? How is it that school trustees don't even know what the IRA definition is and that 
you know, when the opposite of IRA occurs, they say, well, there's two points of view. Well, there aren't actually two points of view according to the, to the law and to the definitions Canada has. And, you know, at university campuses, we have the same thing. Now, um, I agree with you. We need to be forthright in calling out anti-Semitism uh, when it occurs. It's not enough to say, well, you know, these student unions really represent nobody and these motions mean nothing. But however, we don't want anti-Semitism festering in our higher academic uh, institutions and confusing you know, students and, and faculty. What happened at the Scarborough campus was so egregious that even the University of Toronto, which we feel has not been very strong in fighting anti-Semitism, put out not one, but two public statements. Uh, you know, a group of students who were basically acclaimed or elected by very few, who at a, you know, a meeting in which I believe only 50 people took part, that said out of 14,000 at the university, decided that, you know, they would punish Jewish students unless they were anti-Israel and they wouldn't even allow kosher food if, if they could on campus. I mean, look, clearly we are going to fight this. And I think the international opprobrium that's occurred is going to give pause to the university. But however, the university's anti-Semitism working group, as you pointed out, has come out with a report that has nothing concrete. We don't understand why it took so long to write a report that most of us could have done within a couple of days and which really basically says anti-Semitism isn't a good thing, but doesn't give us any avenues how to do this and concludes with, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism is inappropriate in an academic milieu. Are they absolutely insane? You, you know, some of the most prestigious universities in the world, Oxford and Cambridge, have adopted IRA as totally appropriate. Major universities in the United States. If the question to be asked is why have Canadian universities so far not adopted IRA. The debate has not occurred, and there's clearly a movement to try to prevent this. Recently, we were solicited by faculty members in Waterloo, Ontario, for information about IRA, because they said there was a group trying to oppose IRA, and nobody really quite knew the definition. Once we circulated the information, including the country pledge that Canada had publicly made internationally, suddenly the haters, or those who are opposed to IRA, withdrew their opposition because their colleagues have suddenly gotten, you know, light of what Ira really says and not what they claim that it, it said. You know, for us, obviously, campuses are going to be a major area of contention. But however, the way to solve that starts at the top, not university by university. It stops with the federal government working with the education departments in the 10 provinces of Canada. In Canada, education is a provincial mandate. The Minister of Education in each province has a lot of authority. Uh, we have called for the convening of the Council of Education Ministers so that the government of Canada can explain its objectives. And Canada's came up with two major objectives at the uh, Malmo conference, one of which is our curricula to teach the Holocaust and to talk you know, about historic anti-Semitism is really weak. Many of our high school graduates graduate knowing almost nothing about World War II, including that the Holocaust happened and that some provinces teach it better than others. We have to improve that. But the second is we want our school boards, like our municipalities and like our public 
security agencies and like our universities to understand what IRA is, what it isn't, and use that as the benchmark to push back against false information, misleading information, and information that's just hate. I consider people who, who start from the premise of, you know, Israel shouldn't exist as haters, all right? They, they basically um, claim that as academic freedom. We don't say it's academic freedom. We say that it's pure hate and it foments violence and it feeds into the needs of terrorist groups who, uh, as far as we know, uh, may somehow be behind some of the groups in, in Canada, the United States, and elsewhere who are pushing these lines. Having said all that, I go back to your initial statement. I don't want your listeners to think that Canada is not a tolerant, welcoming, and accepting country. In fact, look, when I was a boy, my parents were immigrants. They were they met at Bergen-Belsen after the war, the only survivors of their families, and they came to Canada. They had a good life there. They built you know, a, a life that allowed their children to move up the economic ladder. I became a city councillor. My brother was successful in business. My my own son is a successful lawyer and you know, was the clerk to the Chief Justice of Canada for a couple of years. So, you know, um, that is not to say there weren't obstacles to Jews. The generation before mine even faced quotas in universities and things like that. But Canada over the years has changed. From the 1960s onwards, it become one of the most multicultural, multiracial countries in the world. And people can be very proud in Canada of having a hyphen in their name. They can be Jewish Canadians, Filipino Canadians, Italian Canadians, Chinese Canadians. We cherish our differences in Canada. We cherish our neighbor's heritage while we cherish our common Canadian values. And those values include uh, accepting people for who they are, who their background, their heritage is. And I'll tell you why that's a good thing. Recently, B'nai B'rith, in response to growing anti-Semitism, in response to the Malmo pledge and to our four-point plan, convened a meeting in Quebec. Um, we asked groups to support our work. We asked the government them to tell the government of Canada will stand behind bold action as you have promised. And we stand behind this plan, which we think can translate these welcome promises into actual, um, actual concrete gains on the ground. Uh, we started off with 15 organizations, mostly representing Asian communities and the black community and 15 prominent individuals. And that mushroomed into an open letter to Prime Minister Trudeau that was issued on December the 2nd, signed by 112 uh, people representing 30 organizations, most of the organizations in Quebec of the Chinese community, Filipino community, the Korean community, the Jamaican community, the other Caribbean communities, the other black communities, plus former members of parliament, former members of Quebec National Assembly, and um, current members of Quebec National Assembly, city councillors, school commissioners, prominent individuals from various ethnic communities, and leaders of the Jewish community. And we all basically said, we are stronger when we're united against hate. Uh, one of the Asian groups wrote separately to the government of Canada and said, the Jews stood with us during the spate of anti-Asian racism at the height of the pandemic, we stand with them. And as such, the model, was, the, the impact was so 
so successful in Quebec and the media coverage so favorable that we're now doing this in other provinces. We are reaching out to people elsewhere and we're hosting a call in February that will be national with the goal of doing the same thing. We're going to uh, stand behind uh, common demands such as a law to fight hate online, a lot of, you know, an alliance that will allow us to fight hate against any identifiable group on campus. And by the way, the student unions who often target Jews, they often target other groups as, as well. The number of complaints uh, that we hear at B'nai B'rit is, is growing, and it's not only from the Jewish community. People are soliciting us as a human rights organization from outside the Jewish community. Now, we do good work with resources that are modest, and it becomes a question of what our capacity is. But clearly, there's a willingness in other communities to get to know B'nai B'rith better, to work with B'nai B'rith, and to build this alliance that can not only help call out anti-Semitism, but can help call out other forms of, of hate as well. Right. Councilman, one of my issues has always been about tactics, um, you know, fighting fire with fire. Uh, when I went to school in Detroit at Wayne State University, um, there was no Palestinian authority. It was the PLO. And when the PLO students attacked us, we fought back showing the history of the PLO, bus bombings, hijackings. Uh, I wasn't interested in combating them with education. Um, today, teaching the Holocaust is important, but that's not going to win our fight because what they're going to do is say, yes, the Jews have their Holocaust. We have our Nakba. And I know this because I was on a webinar uh, with a panel that wants to introduce a Nakba into the Winnipeg uh, Museum of Tolerance, where they, they've been pressing for over 10 years to have the Nakba put in the same um, portion of the museum with the Holocaust under the guise of who's to say whose uh, tragedy is worse. So we, we're, we're not fighting the battle harshly enough. Um, there is no reason why, you know, you have groups like uh, like Palestinian Media Watch. They have thousands and thousands of documents and quotes from Arab leaders saying, we want to erase Israel. You have school children singing the songs of martyrdom. That, to me, is how you fight back. You don't fight back with saying, why are you picking on Israel? China is worse than us. North Korea is worse than us. BDS must be. That isn't the fight. I don't care about that. We need to show the world who these people really are. They are the modern-day Goebbels. Goebbels was delegitimized and dehumanized the Jews. That's what their mission now is. They're very well coordinated. You have students for justice in Palestine all over North America, and we're not mm -hmm. fighting them the, the way that we're supposed to be fighting them. That's my rant. Uh, Alan, the war has changed. All right, It's no longer rockets aimed at Israel. Um, it is now a war fought in university campuses, schools, the media, it is a war of misinformation. Much of what B'nai B'rith does is combating this. Um, we have a whole unit that works on intelligence. We have a capacity to monitor in Arabic, and we do. We uh, look very closely at many groups, and we are in contact regularly with law enforcement, intelligence agency, government agency, and we write letters every single day, many of them, to demand action on misinformation. We push back and we're successful on most of what we do. Much of what we do, I won't say publicly, all right? Okay, okay. but we'll however- time for that. <laughs> however, having said that, uh, it's obviously 
um, there's growing sophistication uh, from our, oppon our opponents. They feel this is a vulnerability. Um, what they're good at doing is mass mobilization by email, particularly when some place wants to adopt IRA, they mobilize people to send thousands of emails. Many of them don't come from within the country and many of them don't even come from within North, North America, but the person receiving that may not know that. So, you know, we have tools that we've developed to counter that. We use these tools, by the way, to defeat the censure at the Toronto uh, District School Board. Although I have to admit the education minister standing next to the commissioner and saying, thank you for calling out anti-Semitism probably did help. But however, it's quite clear that there are groups that want to diminish the Holocaust, to try to make it a trivial part of history and to try to make their narrative uh, more effective. However, um, I don't think it works. It will work with a certain segment of the population. But however, it's up to us to do what we need to do. And we need to promote um, the rights of Jews, not only our civil rights and our charter rights as citizens of Canada, the United States, but everywhere else, our right to practice our religion, our right to be proud of our heritage, but also our right to defend the self-determination of Israel. Um, when we point out to people that uh, our own country voted for uh, the United Nations resolution that that recognized Israel as a nation, and we are one of the strongest friends of Israel, uh, people get the message that, you know, these guys are repeating exactly the same line of eradication of Israel that, that the Palestinian uh, groups have uh, proposed since 1948. We will do what we can to make sure that the narrative is accurate and real and that, uh, misinformation is constantly pushed back, but it's a constant struggle. And it's one of the reasons I tell the Jewish community, you know, um, a lot of you support us, but you don't support us where it counts by giving us the resources. You know, if we can't bring in the best people to fight this constant never ending battle. And by the way, uh, Israel is strongest because it outlasts the haters and the enemy who want to destroy it. We have to do the same thing to fight anti-Semitism, whether it's here in North America or whether it uses Israel as a target to attack us here in North America. Uh, we need the financial support of the community. So for those listening in the United States or in Canada, you can go to the b'nebrith.ca website and hit donate. If you're not a Canadian, you won't get a tax deduction, I'm sorry to say, but however, it would be a worthwhile thing to do. Okay, Bela? I'm curious about the uh, employment situation in Canada. Are Jews being discriminated in any way in the employment arena? Or are people who, who are known anti-Semites with ties to hate groups being hired? Um, I know there was an issue with a woman, uh, uh, Valentina Azarova, who was recommended by a search committee for the position of Director of International Human Rights at the University of Toronto. And B'nai Brith requested that she be denied a work permit. Can you comment on that, please? Yes. Also about the employment situation. Well, uh, as far as, since I've only been with B'nai B'rith for four or five months, the files I worked on do not seem to indicate that generally speaking, there's a, you know, a discrimination, open discrimination against Jews in employment. I'm sure it must happen occasionally, but however, I cannot honestly say today that this is a, a, a phenomena or a major problem. As for Azarova, uh, we intervened 
because there were qualified Canadian candidates for the job. We felt that the rules were not respected. And in essence, um, she didn't end up uh, getting the, the position. Um, but it, again, I'll go back to what I said to Alan. It's constant vigilance. Uh, we have to be ahead of the curve on everything. We have to know what's going on and we have to intervene on all these cases. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I'd like to suggest that Benebris is the sword and the shield of the community here in Canada. Um, I'd like to say that most of my day is spent on working on pleasant files such as uh, promoting Jewish Heritage Month. The parliament, as I said, many years ago adopted May as Jewish Heritage Month. But unfortunately, our own community isn't as good as some of the other ethnic communities in celebrating their Heritage Month. There's a, you know, January is Tamil Heritage Month in Canada and June is Filipino Heritage Month. And both those groups are great at showcasing their culture to the general public and working with municipalities to get things done. Well, we haven't been. So one of the things I've been doing as national director is reaching out to communities to get them to adopt motions to recognize the contributions that are Jewish population. And some of them do this anyway. So the city of Toronto does, but others, we spoke to Calgary, for example, a few days ago, and they're going to do this for the first time and others are doing it. I'd like to say it's all that, but it is a large part of it is doing exactly what you, what, uh, you know, Alan, you have raised. We have to be ahead of the curve to say, no, you, cannot hire someone with an anti-Semitic background who openly, you know, calls for the destruction of Israel. No, this breaks this rule. No, this is like, you know, clearly an anti-Semitic incident. We have to be there everywhere. And again, like I say, we are a small organization. We aren't the only Jewish organization in Canada, but I think we are the most activist. Councilman, we've got about a minute and a half left. I want to ask you about the University of Toronto Medical School. Um, Students are students, but coming from faculty scares the hell out of me. Do you know, are these faculty members, are these leftists who are Canadian or are these uh, Palestinian and Arab or, you know, Islamist faculty members who are now joining the ranks of professional schools to spread their uh, narrative and propaganda? Well, we were contacted by Jewish doctors, uh, you know, at University of Toronto and also in the healthcare network in Toronto. Um, first of all, anyone who is a Canadian citizen is a Canadian. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> we're going to be careful with our, our terminology. Right. Let's say those who uh, take the point of view you describe come from various backgrounds, right. but they're all Canadian. All right. That said, uh, there's a strong group to push back. Um, and like I said, initially, the fight has to be constant and there's a middle in there a large number of people who just don't pay attention and who are susceptible to misinformation so we spend a lot of time anytime anything like this comes up formally in the way of emotion making sure every single member gets the real facts and uh, i've had people reach back to us say you know you guys are actually quite dispassionate your information wasn't blatant propaganda it was just facts i read it and i was convinced and that's what we do. Uh, just one quick question, because we are out of time. Um, there are people outside of Canada who don't realize that Canada's reaction to the Holocaust was less than satisfactory. I'm going to circle back because a uh, little bit was mentioned about it. Um, in fact, Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau apologized for the country's role in turning away a ship, um, the MS St. Louis, that carried Jewish refugees from the Nazis in 1939. 
Um, but so did America. Yeah. Uh, uh, my understanding is that Jews in Canada are saying that the Canadian government did everything in its power to close the door on Jews. Can you comment on well, that? And also, Canada, what is yeah. Canada's uh, history in terms of um, teaching its students about the Holocaust studies? Yeah, it, it needs to do far, far better. Canada's role in terms of Jewish refugees during the Holocaust is pretty shameful. Uh, it, Canada was open to Jewish immigration at the late 1890s, right through the 1900s, right in the 1920s, and then in the Depression, basically closed the door to all immigration. Uh, but when it became apparent that, that, that Jews were in need, Canada didn't change its policies. And like the United States, it refused the St. Louis, which went back to Germany, and most of the people died in concentration camps. In fact, about the only nation in the world that opened its arms to Jews, and this will surprise people, was the Philippines. President Quezon was ready to take every refugee from Germany, but the Philippines wasn't fully independent at the time. It was under a commonwealth under the United States, and the United States would only allow them to take 1,000 refugees a year. Still, the Philippines took in more refugees than Canada and the United States combined. And in fact, there's a whole history of the Jewish community in the Philippines, a much right. smaller community now because many immigrated to Israel after 1948. But it will surprise people. Some streets in Manila are named after Jews who contributed significantly to the economic success of the Philippines. Marvin Rothrand, thank you for joining us today on The Definitive Wrap. Thank you to VinNews.com for hosting our show. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. Thank you for having me today. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.